Good morning, everyone. As we turn to hear from God's word this morning, we seek to receive it with reverence and humility. The summons to the word found in your bulletin helps us to do just that. Let's read it together. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This morning's scripture reading is taken from Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. In the Blue Pew Bible, it can be found on page 830. Again, the text is Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12, found on page 830 in the Pew Bibles. Hear now the word of the Lord from the book of Matthew. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thank you, Lucy. Appreciate that wonderful job. Well, this, this morning, as we uh, continue our path through the uh, the Beatitudes, uh, we're we're confronted again with a, a beautiful uh, and, and very countercultural, counterintuitive message uh, from Jesus. Uh, kids, when I was in second grade, I would take the bus to school, and most of the time, uh, at least in first grade, I enjoyed riding the bus. But in second grade, I found that when I would get on the bus, on the bus there was a, a group of boys waiting for me. In fact, one of the boys, his name was Max. Still remember his name. And there's a reason that I remember his name. Because from the time I got on that bus till I got to school, Max made my life horrible. No matter what I did, no matter what I said, it was wrong. And I remember it so distinctly, so clearly. I remember the other kids laughing, but I remember Max, he'd often jump in the seat with me. And I don't know, if, you know what, I don't want to give all your parents horror stories. And I'll tell you, there's, there's, a, there's a real silver lining to this story. But I remember Max, he'd get in my seat, and he would grab my arm, grab my hand, and he would take my fingers, and he would pull them back. Like that. And I would sit there, writhing in the tears, coming down, begging him to stop. And again, day after day, week after week, and I would, I would go home, and I would talk to my parents about it, and uh, my, my parents always had a very good perspective. My mom was, had, has had and still has so much wisdom. And, uh, and I remember from that experience thinking, making a, a resolution. Kids, you know what a resolution is? It's when you decide very firmly that you're going to do something. I decided that I would do everything I could to make everyone always like me all the time. The last thing I wanted, I was so, I was so done with being rejected by other people. I was so longing to be on the inside, so longing to be liked, so longing to be friends. And so I did everything I could. I would wear the right clothes. I would wear the right shoes. I would say the right things. I would go the right places. I did everything I could to fit in. 
Guess how well I did at that. I couldn't always wear the right clothes. My, my parents wouldn't buy the clothes I wanted them to buy. I couldn't always wear the right shoes. In fact, usually when I would go to, I played basketball growing up, and I rarely had the cool shoes. I didn't have the Nike or Jordans. I didn't have the shoes that, you were, that all the other kids seemed to have. All the other parents seemed to buy those shoes for their kids, but I didn't, I didn't get those shoes. And so I wasn't able to do the right, the, the, the right, I wasn't able to have the right clothes. I wasn't even able to say the right things growing up, and I'm sure that you can probably still tell this as a preacher, but growing up I stuttered quite a bit. I had a speech impediment to the point where my parents actually sent me to, uh, you know, to a speech therapist. Um, and, uh, and so I, I could never really say the right things. I would stutter, and kids would make fun of me for stuttering. And I just hated that. I hated that so much. And I so badly wanted to belong. And I, one day I came to the realization that this decision, this, this resolve, this resolution to make everyone like me always, all, excuse me, to make everyone always like me all the time, it was impossible. It was simply impossible. I couldn't do it. And I learned something that is a truism, is really a platitude. What is that? That you can't please everyone. You can't please everyone. Now the world knows that. We all kind of know that. But what we don't do is take the next step. We stop at, oh, I can't please everybody. But the question that, that I think is so important, the question that, that is assumed that in Jesus' words here is this. If I can't please everyone... Whom will I please and why? Whom will I please and why? Think about it right now. Whom are you trying to please? Whose opinion matters more than anything else or anyone else? Whose interpretation of life reigns? Is there someone where everyone can say, you know, it's black, and everyone says it's black, and the, the, the news says it's black, and this person or this authority says it's white? And you're like, oh, okay. So who's, whose opinion really matters most and why? I've never seen Max again. Max is long gone. I, don't, I haven't seen my coaches. I haven't seen... My, my teammates, they're all gone. I've never seen any of them. Not that, I, not that I don't want to see them again. I just haven't seen them before. Rarely ever do I think of, you know, wow, I wonder what Max thinks of me right now. doesn't. See, in the moment, though, in the moment, people's opinions are, we, we, don't, we don't think, we're not critical about saying, wait a minute, time out. Whose opinion matters and Why? I think I've shared this story before, but I can remember one time complaining about this to my mom, about some kids at school who were making fun of me. And she said, Bruce, do you, do you even like those kids? And I said, no. <laughs> and she said, well, why, why then do you care what they think? I don't know. <laughs> right? I didn't have a good answer. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have a good answer. See, so often we don't think critically, we don't stop, we don't step outside of ourselves, we don't get outside of ourselves and ask that all-important question, whom will I please 
and why? Why them? Why are they so important? And it can get really hairy. It can get really confusing. How many of you have parents in your life who have meant the world to you? And their opinion is, is so important. And yet there's a dark side to that. Because this is important. Kids, I want you to understand this. Especially those of you who are in junior high, high school, listen to me. It's so important because there's so much at stake here. When you, if you can stop and think, okay, honestly, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not exactly proud of it, but honestly, these are the people whose opinions matter most. Or this is the person who's, who's, whom I want to please the most. This is the person whose approval matters most to me. I want you to understand this. That person owns you. They own you. You are their slave. Even if you don't even have their approval. And see, going back to the bus, second grade, who owned me? Who, who mastered me? Whose approval did I want more than I wanted Max's? And I couldn't get There was no way. And so my life was miserable. It was miserable. I was enslaved. And Jesus here is saying, wait, time out, time out. Who, you can't please everyone, so whose opinion will matter and why them? Now keep that in mind. I want you to think about so who are some of the most respected, celebrated people in human history? Think of American history. Who is the most respected president? Come on, take a guess. Abraham Lincoln. Lived to an old age, died, respected, loved, cared for, right? No, assassinated. Murdered. If you know anything about Lincoln's life during the Civil War, even his whole presidency, he was hated, despised. Some new newspapers even called for his assassination. The guy was hated. Can you make sense of that? What, what's going on? Kids, what is going on? What kind of world is it when Abraham Lincoln is murdered? Right? Who's the most respected civil rights leader in, in American history? Martin Luther King. Lived to an old age, respected, loved, cared for. Murdered. Assassinated. What kind of world do we live in wasn't just MLK, it was Malcolm X as well. Think of another civil rights leader across the globe in India, Mahatma Gandhi. Lived to an old age, respected, cared for, yeah. assassinated. Think of one of the most respected leaders of the resistance, one of the most respected pastors of the last hundred years. That led the, the resistance in Germany, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Lived to an old age, Respected, cared for, no. Lost his life, taken by the Nazis. What kind of world do we live in when people like that are treated like that? And it makes you stop and say, time out, wait a minute. Whom will I please and why? Now, of course, towering over Abraham Lincoln and Martin Luther King and Gandhi and Bonhoeffer and many others is the figure of Jesus Christ. 
Was there anyone more loving? Was there anyone more wise? Was there anyone more strong, capable than Jesus of Nazareth? I lived to an old age, respected, cared for. Was there anyone more hated than Jesus Christ? I'm asking again, what kind of world do we live in that someone like Jesus would be put to death? Jesus here, look at this, look at these words. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This term righteousness, if we've already seen it before, could be probably translated justice. It's persecuted not only for doing what is right, but for standing for what is right. This is so important. See, this isn't just simply about being persecuted for being, doing your own pious personal thing. Most of the time in America, in the world that we live in, if you keep your religion private, if you do your own little thing, stay to yourself in your bubble, people will be like, oh, that's fine. He's just doing, he's doing his thing. He's doing her thing. They're just doing their thing. I'm, glad, I'm happy for you that that, that that makes you feel fulfilled, your private personal religious thing. I'm glad your religion helps you to cope with life. But that's not, it's not, that's not primarily what Jesus has in mind here. Blessed are those who are persecuted because they stand up for what is right. Because they defend the cause of the voiceless. Because they stand for truth. Jesus is saying that there is a call among Christians to stand for what is right. And he insists, listen to this, he insists that it's going to cost you. It's going to cost us. And he elaborates, blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you, when they falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice, listen to this, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, I'm sure you're familiar with the phrase, there's no good deed that goes unpunished. Are you familiar with that phrase? No good deed goes unpunished. I think in some ways it captures the very, the very environment that we live in today. Most of you are familiar with the idea of cancel culture. You're familiar with this idea that, hey, um, um, you just say the right things. You, I'm sorry, say the wrong thing. You tweet the wrong thing. And you're, and you're done. It's over. The Twitter mob will come after you. It's an amazing world that we live in. I think of, you look at, look at the newsrooms across America. I think for us, you know, primarily the New York Times. You know, if you're familiar with the... Uh, the journalist Barry Weiss and how she was, um, which was canceled from the New York Times. This is a woman who, um, I mean, incredible author, incredible writer, um, very careful in what she writes, and yet her, her, her ideas were no longer welcome in the New York Times, and she was canceled. We live in a world where it is, everyone is watching. Everyone is watching. 
And it's so often that in that world that if we, if we say or do the wrong thing, we're, we're, we're going to pay for it. And Jesus said, and of course, in Jesus' mind, not much has changed because that's the way it was then. So think about it. Let me ask this question again. Whom will you please and why? What are we to make of a world where people like Lincoln and King and Gandhi and Bonhoeffer were put to death for doing what is right. Um, Jesus, uh, we read in Mark chapter, Mark chapter 8, listen to these words. This is, so, this is so important. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do, who do, my, who, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what, 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 what about you? Jesus asked. Who do you say I am? And Peter gets it right. He says, you are the Messiah. And then Jesus warned them, says Mark, not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders. Did you hear that? Be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and then he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. You translate it this way. You do not have in mind the values of God, but the values of men. Then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, listen to this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves Take up their cross and follow me. Understand, listen to this, everyone, there's no more important message that the church today needs to hear than this one right here. What it means to follow Jesus Christ is to be willing to be rejected by the world. To take up your cross isn't just some sort of, you know, to take up sacrifice, to take up, embrace the hardships in life. It is specifically about about receiving, being the recipient of cultural rejection. The cross was the ultimate way of saying, you are an enemy to everything that is good about the Roman Empire. All the values of the Roman America, all that we celebrate, all that is good, you can no longer exist. That is how dangerous you are to the Roman Empire. You, you pose a clear and present danger. You are an enemy of the state. And that's how our Lord Jesus went down. And he says, understand, if you're going to follow me, you have to share in my fate. You have to be willing to be rejected by family. You have to be willing to be rejected by friends. You have to be willing to be rejected by employers. You have to be willing to be canceled. Because what the world stands for, what its values are so utterly bankrupt. What do we make of a world? That, again, that, that murders Martin Luther King, a world that murders Abraham Lincoln. What do we make of a world that celebrates clothes and shoes and money and big Twitter accounts with all kinds of followers? What are we to make of something so shallow, so empty, so perverse? Jesus says you can't embrace those values. You can't be at peace with the world and be my disciple. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves 
and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. I don't know about you, there's been times in my life where I've been with non-Christians. Say, when I was in the Air Force, I'd be out you know, on, a, on a work trip of some sort and religion would come up, Christianity would come up. And the moment, the opportunity would come for me to say something. And I remained silent. I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. It's so sad. It breaks my heart. You feel, you feel I've denied my Lord Jesus. I've, I've refused to speak his name. I've refused to represent the one who is love. The one who is incredible welcome. The one who changed our world forever. The one who is peace. I refuse to speak his name. See, what Jesus wants to get out here, well, he has some wonderful questions he says here. This is Mark 8, uh, verse 35. Whoever wants to lose their life, will, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What does he mean by that? Well, there's a certain sense in which he's speaking of the, the age to come, but he's, spe- he's speaking here of something I think that is so profound. That when we actually lose our life, when we actually speak up, when we actually voice, we actually stand for what is right, and then we are rejected, guess what? We think it's going to be the end of the world. And it's not. Because there have been times, gang, by God's grace, where I have stood for what is right. Where I have vocalized. There have been several times where I've been in a worn situation. Again, this is not, I'm not, this is not the uh, Bruce superhero story. It's not. I'm just sharing one way, one time in which God, by his grace, enabled me to speak, to speak up. I was on, I was on a, a work trip, and uh, we were at a, we had just got landed, in, uh, we had just arrived by flight into a, an area, I think we were out of New Mexico, I want to say, or Arizona, and we were on our way to the hotel, and we were going to simply, uh, we were going to get up early the next morning and start work, and so we had that evening, and so we went out together, and we had, we had dinner together, and uh, the guy started talking about the Old Testament. I don't know, it was, a, it was kind of, I don't know how to go, you know, God of the Bible, as a God of wrath, and a God of of, of you know, hatred, of animosity, God of destruction. And another person said, well, you know, I, I started reading through the Old Testament when I was young, and I started reading it, and I, I thought even the protagonists, even the good guys, they're, they're, they're jerks. They're losers. And I spoke up, and I said, well, when we, started, we got into a conversation about, about justice, and should God be unconcerned about injustice? Shouldn't he get angry when there's injustice? Or do you want him to sit and do nothing? So do you want God to act upon injustice? Or do you want him to be apathetic? It's a catch-22, it seems, for God. That when God is wrathful, when he actually acts on injustice and does and punishes what is evil, you don't like that. But on the other hand, when he, when he adopts people, when he welcomes people who are losers, like so many of the, so many of the Old Testament uh, pro- protagonists were, they were nobodies, they were jerks. Isn't that a, is that a good thing or a bad thing? 
And we had a beautiful discussion. What was so amazing is after that discussion, they didn't agree. I don't know if they liked me more or less, but I felt free. You know why? Because I was, I was free from their opinions. I didn't care what they thought anymore. Those of you in junior high and high school, if you want to be free, if you want to be free, you follow Jesus. If you follow Jesus and you don't care what people think, you will live in a freedom, a peace. And in those moments where you will be rejected, because that's what Jesus promises, he promises that we will, we will be rejected by people whose opinions don't matter by people whose values are unjust, by people whose values are perverse. Jesus continues here. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Do you see how serious Jesus is about this? He's not playing around. And he, and he even presses it to the final point. Listen to this. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. My heart for us as a church is that we would so be willing to be rejected by the world not being fast and loose, not being, you know, sometimes we Christians can be just rude. We can be self-righteous. There are times when we can, our witness before the world is, is so poor. And yet to do what is right, to stand for what is right, to be gladly associated or gladly known as, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, I don't know, again, I don't know about some of you students or perhaps some of those of you who are in work environments, and it comes up just out of the blue, out of the sudden, you, just, you don't see it coming. Suddenly someone mentions Christians or whatever. And I want to encourage you in that moment to be ready. Think, what, 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 what will I say? What will I do? Do I have prepared lines? And for example, one of my prepared lines is I say this, yes, I'm the follower of the one who is love. I'm the follower of the one who is peace. And I'm not going to be ashamed of that. I don't deserve it. But I am. And you can even be more aggressive. I don't know why you would make fun of one who is perfect love. I don't understand why someone would see Jesus as the problem in this world. I think for me, he's the solution. See, these are things that are very simple. We don't have to give an account. We don't have to be this master apologist. We just simply have to say, yes, I am one who follows the one who is love. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. Do you believe that? So encouraging. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. 
And listen, some of you, as you're thinking, as you're processing this, you're thinking it through, you're thinking about family members, thinking about coworkers, thinking about friends, longtime friends. And I'm wondering, you think, I don't know how to navigate that. That's super complicated. Super complicated. Listen, I don't have all the answers, but I would be happy to walk with you in that. You know, you send me an email, come up to me after the service, say, hey, look, I, I don't know how to navigate that. What does it look like? I've got a, a parent, or I've got a brother, or a sister, or I've got a, fr- a friend, and, and I, I want to be faithful to the Lord. I want to be known as a Christian. I want them, I want to be able to love them well and to represent the name of Christ. And if it means rejection, so be it. But I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what to do. It's complicated. You get into the details of it all. I don't know what to do. And when we don't know what to do, what do we do? Usually we do nothing. And so I want to encourage you. Hey, I'm here. I would love to walk with you through. I'd love to pray with you through those things. Let me conclude with this. That Jesus, I mean, as we read here in Mark chapter 8, it says that, 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 um, that Jesus speaks of uh, what will happen to him in Jerusalem. And, and let me just say, I, I have to say this because it's so important. Jesus is being rejected by whom? Yes, in a sense, he's rejected by the Roman Empire, by Pilate. But really, who, by whom is he rejected? The people of God. The people of God. In fact, if you go back to the original, the original Beatitude, he says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Who's the they? It's not a bunch of non-Christian pagans. It's not a bunch of Egyptians. It's not a bunch of Assyrians. Who's the they who persecuted the prophets who were before you? It was God's people. Listen, Jesus Christ was crucified by people who professed faith in the God of Israel. People who said that they were ardently committed to the way of Yahweh. Now that should be incredibly unsettling. Incredibly sobering to say, time out, wait a minute. Am I a Christian in name only? Is my walk real? Is any of this that I do real? Or am I just in a sea of gray? Am I just lukewarm, half-baked? And you know what Jesus does with what's lukewarm. In in Revelation 2 and 3, he writes to the Laodiceans, and he says this. Listen to this, church. Because this isn't just about you individually. This is about us collectively as a church. He writes to the Laodiceans, and he says, Look, you are neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. And therefore, he says, I will spit you out of my mouth. You know, some of you eat something that's kind of lukewarm. You know, Ugh. Right? He says, I'm going to spit you out. Jesus does that with churches. Where it's just, everyone's just kind of, meh. No one really cares. Everything's just half-baked. Everything's just lukewarm. It's all mediocre. Take a look around this church. Take a look, take a look at, at, our, at, our, at our relationships, at our small groups. Are they mediocre? Are they lukewarm? And what are we doing about it? Is our walk before the Lord lukewarm? Where do you stand 
Would you and I reject Jesus? Or will we be like the prophets of old? Will we speak up? Will we look to brothers and sisters who are hurting and come to them with a word of comfort, a word of concern, daring, risking to actually say something? Hey, are you, are you sure you're okay? How are you doing? Or do we just wash our hands? Hey, not my problem. Not my problem. That's, that's their life. And we remain silent. So again, let me conclude. Jesus himself lived a life in which he was utterly rejected. But he lived a life, too, in which he was fully resurrected. Jesus is the rejected, resurrected, reigning Lord. And he, listen to this, he and he alone will come to judge the living and the dead. On that day, no one's opinion will matter except his. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? At the end of the day, no one's going to care what presidents think. No one's going to care what politicians think. No one's going to care what Twitter says. No one's going to care what's on Facebook. None of it is going to matter. There is only one whose opinion will matter. And let me ask you, what would, he, what would he say to you on that day? Will he say, away from me? I never knew you. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not perform many miracles in your name? Didn't I not do extraordinary things in your name? And he will say, which is a truly I tell you, I will say to them, I never knew you. Do you know him? You may know him, but does he know you? Or on that day will you hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the sobriety of your word, how it calls us to take aside. Jesus, you have said, whoever is, whoever is not with me is against me. And Father, we long to be, Jesus, we long to be with you. We want to be on your side. Forgive us for the ways that we are ashamed of you, that we are embarrassed of you. Father, free us. Give, send your Holy Spirit to free us from the opinions of men, from the opinions of family members, from the opinions of foes, from the opinions of a, a, a culture all around us that would silence us into, into, into a submission, into a surrender. Lord Jesus, help, help us to know the freedom that comes from following you. The freedom that comes from delighting in what you delight, in valuing what you value. And may we say with Jesus, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. Father, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.